0: Coming up, the Masters produce Japan's first ever major Grand Slam winner as Hideki Matsuyama wins the green jacket. Another guarantee in life besides death and taxes is zero run support whenever Mets pitcher Jacob DeGrom is on the mound. The Eastern Conference and the NHL are making power moves as the trade deadline is at 3pm today. Sam Darnold jettisoned to Carolina. Kyrie Irving out yet again for personal matters. All that and then some on this edition of the J Reels Podcast, but first, this message. Hey everybody. J Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a long time listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms: on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Castbox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to, so your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility, fuel the growth, and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people. To generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I can flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk, unlike any other, for everyone to listen and enjoy, and to keep coming back for more on a week in, week out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that said, the J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. what is happening my good people greetings how are you how's it going how's everybody doing out there what is the latest and greatest hope everybody's doing well feeling fantastic it's another monday another week as we zoom through another month i tell you time just keeps on ticking as we approach the middle of april so hop aboard as i navigate you through the entire sports universe as this is the j reels podcast with your host j reels for my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 189 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, April the 12th in the year of our Lord 2021. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, What's expected on this podcast, is as follows Two terrific starts by Jacob DeGrom this past week, including Saturday's outing of eight innings pitched, one run, 14 strikeout baseball, was not enough as the MED offense takes yet another day off whenever he chose the rubber. I'll discuss some early Met woes, and I get it, it's only been a week, it's only been five games, there's still plenty of season to go, but it's already starting, and it's not even just a matter of Jacob deGrom, there are a few other things that I need to get off my chest, we'll do that, as well as the rest of the landscape of Major League Baseball. As far as the NHL goes, the trade deadline is today at 3pm, and the Eastern Conference has been wheeling and dealing, moving and shaking, even my Islanders made a big trade last week. But there have been a lot of other teams in the mix, whether you're Toronto, whether you're Boston, and a couple other teams that are looking to make their push to upend the Tampa Bay Lightning as the defending Stanley Cup champions, and even they made a move to improve their roster. We'll touch on that later on. Just as I'm about to post the podcast last week, word came down that Sam Darnold was traded by the Jets to the Carolina Panthers for three draft picks in a trade that I do not stand if I'm a Jet fan. So, I'll get into why did they get so little in return, but at the same time, is Zach Wilson the answer for the Jet quarterback woes, or at least so it seems. We'll get into that. Everything that's happening in the association is they had a very interesting week, including Kyrie Irving, who's going to be out for personal reasons yet again. I'm sure the Net fan has to be sick to their stomach hearing that once again. All of that, including my hero and zero of the week. But as we start off this podcast, whenever we think of the Masters, and we look at that end of the first into the second week of the calendar, when we look at the month of April, and you get a chance to view the beautiful greens, the grounds of Augusta, of course the azaleas blooming, just the beautiful sweeping images of the golf course, the renowned grounds down there in the state of Georgia, and that's the one thing that I've become accustomed to over the years, and full disclosure, It took me quite some time to get into the game of golf Even as a big sports fan like myself We all know that when you're a young boy growing up You gravitate to the sports that are going to be on TV the most Whether it's baseball, football, basketball, even hockey for that matter But golf is one of those sports that kind of gets left off in the dust One that you don't really pay attention to One that you don't really focus on And for those new to the podcast or for those who aren't even familiar With my take when it comes to the world of golf, I didn't really start getting into golf until about 2005, and it happened to be the Masters that year, which was the great mano a mano square off between Tiger Woods and Chris DeMarco, where Tiger was able to prevail at the end to win another Masters on his mantle, and to continue his ascent to being one of the greatest golfers of all time. And of course, I followed Tiger's career before that, who could forget his epic 97 Masters, which pretty much blew away the field and set the stage for what was to come, who was a part of the golf world's consciousness. But pretty much from that point forward, he became not only just an icon of his sport, but an icon of all sports. Because he was synonymous with golf and the transcendent figure that he was and still is today, even though he's recuperating from his injuries in that car accident that he suffered there about six weeks ago. But the Masters is the one tournament that because of 2005 and obviously it's tradition unlike any other and the history of that particular tournament and pretty much being the Super Bowl of golf, it's one of those points of spring that I look forward to because as we continue to move forward in this sports calendar, it's just another check on the list. Meaning that when we get to March Madness, right after that is opening day. Then right after that is the Masters, and as we've said time after time, we're not going to see the NHL and NBA playoffs until next month, but that would be the next thing on the calendar in a regular year after the Masters. So now that we could look at this and put this in our rearview mirror, this was a tournament over the first couple of days that pretty much brought the players to its knees when it comes to the course. And a lot of the players that I mentioned last week that I thought would be in the mix or close, if not at the top of the leaderboard... Man, they fell by the wayside this week. And remember, five months ago it was a totally different story. When you have the Masters, as we saw in November, where Dustin Johnson was finally able to put on that green jacket and the elements, and just being able to view at home was totally different. It's night and day between then and now. And Dustin Johnson, ironically enough, is at the top of that list as far as one of the guys who was unable to make it into the weekend when it comes to the Masters because he had just a pathetic performance over those first two days where his putter had failed him to his admission and him not being able to get on track but he was not alone a guy like Lee Westwood who always seems to be in the running for a championship whether it be outside of the top four majors or in this particular case with the Masters he was nowhere to be found that he did not make the cut even a guy like Rory McElroy, who's had his troubles in this tournament when we look back I believe six seven years ago where he had a big lead going into the final round on Sunday and him just imploding in front of the world that was watching at that time or even a guy like Brooks Kepka, who has a bit of an excuse and we know that once you're whether it's on the golf course or on the diamond the gridiron even if you're playing hurt there is no excuse but for a guy who had knee surgery last month and was able to come back within three and a half weeks time To lace him up, grip it and rip it, he was unable to get out of the first two days and not being able to make the cut. He gave it a good effort, but obviously was nowhere to be found come Saturday or Sunday. You also had a guy like Jason Day, who I followed over the years. Another guy not making a cut. Former Masters champion Sergio Garcia, another guy not to be found. So you had some of golf's biggest names not making it into the weekend, where it set the stage for other players and pretty much guys we've either a never heard of or guys that have been around and have made their push and in particular the one guy that really made its push and was very impressive over the course of the weekend in particular Saturday and even though yesterday he shot over in winning the Masters was a one Hideki Matsuyama and he was as cool as a cucumber he had a huge break on 16 which we'll get to in a second but even another guy like Justin Thomas, to go back to that theme of players not being able to be at the forefront when it comes to the leaderboard over the weekend, Justin Thomas who was playing very well and then had the delay in the middle of the match where for about an hour and 15 minutes, they had to suspend play and then Justin Thomas came back and he pretty much went into a tailspin as he shot 10 under for the day and he was no longer part of the championship mix. And then as we get into yesterday, where we had Matsuyama going into that final round with a four-stroke lead over players like Will Zalatoris, who is a guy that nobody on anyone's radar even heard of going into this weekend, who made a very impressive first round in his very first Masters, and we'll get to that in a minute. Even Mark Leishman, who put on a very good performance here over the course of the weekend down in Augusta. Justin Rose was a guy that led pretty much all the way, led Thursday, led Friday, had a little bit of a tough time there on Saturday, but was in the running for a championship there on Sunday, but he was unable to get back to the way he shot in the first two rounds, and particularly on Thursday, he shot a 65 to start off the Masters, and then from there he pretty much shot par, and then there's Xander Shoffley, who was paired with Matsuyama yesterday, and even joked throughout the course of the match with him as he does speak a little bit of Japanese and he was able to bond a little bit of a friendship there on the course where Shoffley was very impressive but the one hole that he would like to have back is 16 and with the way all these aforementioned golfers that performed from Zalatoris to Leishman to Rose, Shoffley, etc. and not to also forget a guy like Brian Harmon who was also a part of this group headed into yesterday But when it was all said and done, Matsuyama, I'm not going to say did just enough. When you look at the final scoreboard, him winning one stroke over Will Zalatoris, and it makes you think that, wow, was this match as close as it possibly could have been? It certainly wasn't. But there was a moment yesterday that made you think, could this get interesting late in the match, where as we approached the 15th hole, where Xander Shoffley was on the verge of completing four straight holes with four straight birdies and Matsuyama getting a bogey as they head into the 16th where Matsuyama is just two strokes ahead and remember since they were paired off they were going head-to-head mano-a-mano and that tee shot on 16 is one that Xander Shoffley I'm sure he hasn't slept and probably won't sleep for another month thinking about how that shot went right off the tee it went right into the water a little bit aggressive on his point to where he ended up triple bogeying on the hole, and pretty much left him out of championship contention, as far as the Masters go, and even mentioned that in the post-match, how it was just tough knowing that he was that close, and then to get that first shot, I don't know if it was maybe nerves, I don't know if he felt at that point, maybe it was time for him to be a little bit more assertive, or a little bit more aggressive, as I mentioned, and therefore he hit the ball on the drink, and at that point Matsuyama was pretty much not going to say coasting because he knew that Zalo Torres was a hole ahead of him throughout the tournament or at least throughout Sunday and that he was able to compose himself, get himself prepared to not only try to do his best to par the next three holes so he could walk off with that championship and pretty much what he did, I'm not going to say he hung on for dear life because he did have some wiggle room He did have some shots where he knew he could afford to take a risk here or take a risk there, as you saw, especially in the last hole where he bogeyed on 18, and thankfully he had enough room in order to avoid having a tiebreaker and a playoff against the one Will Zalatoris, to where Matsuyama is the first Japanese player to win, not just the Masters, a major tournament in the world of golf, and kudos to him. I mean think about this 10 years ago almost to the day is when he started his first Masters as a 19 year old and then now he's able to win the coveted green jacket for the first time just a thrill unlike any other was congratulatory even by Tiger Woods as he tweeted there yesterday congratulating him and what it means to not only just to him as far as Matsuyama goes but for his country etc and another guy got throw in the mix too was Jordan Spieth he was a guy that a lot of people thought from the momentum of last week, winning the Valero Texas Open, which was actually his first tour victory in almost four years, also played very well. Did not do enough here, especially over the course of Sunday, to where he could be part of the group of Shoffley, Zalatoris, and even Justin Rose, for that matter. But when you look at yesterday, although you had that moment there on 16, Matsuyama was pretty much in control. And granted that it got dicey a little bit later on, where he did have some margin for error, but knew that one bad shot was going to really put him off there to a point where maybe he and Zalatoris would have gone for a playoff. But that wasn't meant to be. Matsuyama was pretty much in control. And unfortunately, Schauffele's tee shot on 16 pretty much changed the outcome of those last three holes. Because let's just say, for instance, if he was able to par there, would Matsuyama have folded under the pressure? Now, Shoffley ended up at 7-under for the tournament, and granted, he had a triple bogey, so that would have put him at 10-under. Could have been a whole different match over those last two holes, so we'll never find that out. But again, much credit, much props goes to Matsuyama for his Masters victory. And I tell you, Will Zalatoros was a guy I wouldn't have known if he would have fell on me. All I remember in watching, especially yesterday... Because the weather in the Northeast has been miserable. It's been rainy for a change. Because I know it's been beautiful to start off spring. And I hope it continues that way. Although it's going to be 40 later on in the week. But I digress. But Zala Torres, you look at him, the guy's a stick figure. And in watching him, I'm like, how is this guy just pretty much dominating the course? And give him credit. He had a phenomenal weekend. I know on 10, I believe he had a double bogey there. Which when you think back, that could be the one hole that he could look at and say, man, if I just parred there, he would have probably been in the playoff with. Matsuyama, but for his first time out and playing the Masters, I, you couldn't have asked for a better job. I mean, the guy was sensational. And who knows what that means now for him moving forward, as far as the PGA, as far as the U.S. Open, as well as the Open. Uh, that'd be, of course, the British Open. So we'll see what his future is going to look like, especially for this year, and what Zalatoris does, and what kind of momentum from the Masters yesterday will translate until the rest of this year you also had Mark Leishman who played very well I know Justin Rose he has to be kicking himself a little bit knowing that Saturday got away from him a little bit and then yesterday he had to play catch-up but it was just too much for him to overcome Jordan Spieth he's a guy that remember in 2015 he was winning tournaments left and right including the Masters then and a bunch of second place finishes then kind of fell off the face of the earth. But now it looks like he's regained his form and his confidence. And let's see if Spieth could go back to his 2015 form. Remember, he's a young kid. You know, it's not as if Spieth is, you know, in his mid-30s. So we'll see what this does for the play of Jordan Spieth as we move along this calendar year as far as the golf season goes. And who knows what Matsuyama, what this will do as far as the rest of his golf season is concerned and we know next month will be the PGA I don't know what's going to be played or off the top of my head but it's going to be what the third week of May so unlike years past where the PGA was on the back end of the calendar in the summertime after the British Open now we'll be able to have another major pretty much right in front of us so we won't have long to be able to sink our teeth into another major when it comes to golf And that's pretty much it. I mean, what more else could I say in reference to some of the key players? Even Bryson DeChambeau, how could I forget him? He had a very rough first round and then he bounced back nicely to make the cut going into the weekend, but he finished on the plus side. For DeChambeau, I'm sure he's got to be tossing and turning and thinking about what in the hell has gone wrong here. And in watching DeChambeau, yeah, he is impressive off the tee. I mean, the guy just bombs it. But you got to wonder if that is his game, and we understand that that's what it is, but, you know, looking at DeChambeau is like looking at the pitcher that throws 100 miles an hour. That, yeah, he may be able to throw it through a brick wall, but at the same time, he's more of a thrower than a pitcher, which I kind of get the sense with DeChambeau where he just wants to dominate the course with his brute strength and be able to hit the ball, you know, 360 yards off the tee and try to just stranglehold the competition as well as the golf course. Instead of just letting the game come to him, and knowing when to grip it and rip it, and knowing when to take chances and not to take chances, DeChambeau just wants to be 100 miles an hour all the time, and it bit him in the rear end over the weekend, and there's no other way to cut it. That's just how is going to play, unless he finally gets humbled in a tournament where he's close, and let's say, for instance, he hits a ball into the trap, or hits a ball into the water, where... He wants to take some of those shots back and maybe he'll learn and think about it along the way where, all right, I'm going to have to take the pedal off the metal, so to speak, and not have to just go for it on every hole. And maybe that's his focus, to put pressure on the players throughout the course of the match or to say that no golf course is going to be able to contain him. Who knows? Maybe a lot of it is ego, but he was given a big giant slice of humble pie over the weekend as he was nowhere to be found as well and Phil Mickelson played pretty well too as he shot under I believe he shot one under for the tournament but again was nowhere near the top of the leaderboard but it was a good Masters you had a little bit of drama I understand you had a lot of the big players out early and didn't make the cut and you had some newcomers there and uh, Matsuyama's been around but this is his first major so give it up to him but Zalatoris and even Leishman and guys that you didn't expect to be there yeah Justin Rose was there and Jordan Spieth But let's see. Let's see what this does as we get ready for a PGA next month. And right now we have the first one out of the way. And it was good to see Augusta in April as opposed to November. So that's what we got there as far as the golf. I figured I'd go in a different direction, give credit to Matsuyama and for his historic win. And not only that, but also to kind of get the middle of April in focus when it comes to spring, when it comes to the golf calendar. And instead of putting the Masters on the back end of this podcast, I figured I'd give it its due and kick us off there. Now, I'm going to segue that to baseball to keep it in the spring, to keep it with a season that's just getting underway. And we'll touch on the NHL trade deadline and the NBA as well as the NFL before we say goodbye. Uh, I won't even get into the college basketball with Baylor and Gonzaga. If you didn't get to see my take on that, you could just go to my Instagram profile, the J Reels podcast. I spent two minutes on that. Baylor just... Crush Gonzaga and their undefeated hopes and their season went up in smoke. Did not play well in that contest. In fact, a lot of it could be the hangover from the Saturday night victory over UCLA. So, without getting further into that, if you want to get my two cents, you could just go to my Instagram profile again, the J Reels podcast. But now, as we get to baseball, I get we're 10, 11 days into the season and we're seven days into the Mets season because we know that. Because of the Washington Nationals and their COVID issues, they weren't able to get in the first series of the year in the nation's capital against the Nationals. So they had to start their season in Philadelphia against the Phillies. And in typical 2018, 2019, 2020, and now 2021 fashion, I've come to the conclusion that after Monday's performance and even after Saturday's dominant performance by one Jacob Degrom there are now three guarantees in life. Death, taxes, and no run support for number 48 of the New York Mets. Here he is on opening night at 77 pitches. And I understand that in the seventh inning, Miguel Castro came in. He gave up a hit, but for all intents and purposes, he had a clean inning. And then it wasn't until Trevor May and Aaron Loop blew the doors off of the Met bullpen because they were just as pathetic in their opening performances as you could possibly have where the Mets lose 5-3 they made a little threat in the ninth inning and therefore weren't able to get the equalizer and push it into extra innings or at least to the bottom of the ninth but when we have a scenario where every time Jacob deGrom goes out in the mound it becomes beyond baffling beyond frustrating and just downright sickening that this man does not get any run support He leaves with a 2-0 lead on Monday night against the Phillies, and you can argue the 77 pitches, I get that, only to any extent because Castro came in and he was able to do the job in the 7th inning. So even if the Grom pitched that 7th inning cleanly, look what happened in the 8th inning. So even if he had a quick 7th inning, let's just argue that fact, so where Jacob could go out into the 8th inning at 90 pitches, would Luis Rojas have done that? Probably not. Because in the game on Saturday, which I'll get to in a minute, he pitched 95 pitches. So it was a lot more conservative. He was a lot more efficient with his pitches there on Saturday. But for the Met bullpen to blow that game. And then fast forward to Saturday, where Jacob DeGrom pitches eight innings, gives up one run, a home run to a light hitting infielder in Jazz Chisholm. And no offense to him. Hey, he took care of the fastball, home run, God bless him. 14 strikeouts later but for the Mets to not muster up a single rally uh, what is going on here? Why does the offense go to sleep whenever Jacob DeGrom starts? Now get this since 2018 two Cy Youngs was third in the Cy Young last year we just talked about his first two starts this year in all this time the Mets are 36 and 42 in his starts you know what his ERA is over the course of those starts? 208. Not 280. He is giving up a smidge over two runs a game. How is this possible? Yeah, you can't make this up. And I don't want to hear that well, a lot of the opposing pitchers that Jacob goes up against is going to be their A starter. All right, you can make that argument, but come on, Trevor Rogers? All of a sudden, this guy's uh, Steve Carlton? And it's not the knock the kid. He pitched great as well. Six innings, struck out 10, masterful. But then the Marlon bullpen, what happened there? You know, this isn't the nasty boys of the 90 Reds when they won the World Series back then, of Norm Charlton, Randy Myers, and Rob Dibble. Uh, give me a break. And we understand that the Marlins do have good young arms, but for the Mets to not be able to scratch a run across the board to at least give Jake a no decision? And then, uh, don't get me started on Edwin Diaz, comes in, gives up a double and a blue pit to make it 2 nothing, and then you could pretty much turn your sets off there. You think the Mets could, they can't score a run in eight innings, what makes you think they're going to score two in the ninth? And this is on the heels of what happened there on opening day, where Michael Conforto, who can't buy a hit to save his life, had to lean into a pitch that grazed him in order to get the walk-off hit-by-pitch run for the Mets to win their opening game at home, 3-2, to two and that was disgraceful and as you heard Gary Keith and Ron they were up in arms as to how in the hell that they were able to get away with that and rightfully so and then Conforto here's a guy that's on his walk year a lot of people especially the Met fan has said oh all this attention is being paid to Francisco Lindor what about our own Michael Conforto well look at what he's gotten himself uh, you know into he's gotten off to a dreadful start to a season bad enough that he can't get a hit But he has runners on third with less than two out and he can't even bring the guy home with a sack fly. And he's hearing boo's and then of course people on Twitter and you can't pay too much mind to what they say but for them to say oh why are you going to boo Conforto the season just started so on and so forth. Well when the Mets can't get a run especially when Jacob DeGrom starts or can't get a run at all it seems when they're winning games 3-2 and 2-1 and all these low scoring games and I get the other night in Philadelphia when they got their victory. But still It's the same song and dance with this organization when it comes to not only just Jake, and I don't want to put this all on Conforto, but again, he's a guy that's going to command a big contract at the end of this year, and we know who his agent is, and Scott Boris, et cetera, et cetera, and he's not doing himself any favors. So he's getting booed early on. What could you say? I don't like it. Me personally, I'm not going to boo, but when you have 8,000 fans in the ballpark, that sounds like almost 40,000, especially here in New York, he's going to feel the brunt of it. That's all there is to it. And then yesterday, this is an organizational thing now I got to pick on the Mets. The weather was atrocious in New York yesterday. It rained the whole day. What was their thinking going into yesterday to start the game against the Marlins to where Marcus Stroman throws seven pitches, they have to call the game, they sit through a two and a half hour rain delay, and then they postpone it. So where Stroman comes out on Twitter and he says, oh, this is a waste of a performance, why do we go ahead and play this game? Did you see what it looks like outside? And guess what? He's right. Now, Strowman has a lot to say, especially for a guy that is more of a number two, three, four starter. And I like Strowman. Don't get me wrong, but he's not going to be confused with Max Scherzer or Jacob DeGrom or Garrett Cole. But he's right in this regard that not only do they lose the start with him because I got to wait five days. And now, watch, based on his comments, watch Luis Rojas go to him this week. And maybe toward the end of the week, before they go on the road, watch him try to pencil him into the rotation, and he's going to get lit up. As to looking at the situation, hearing what Strowman had to say, and then trying to make amends by putting him in a start, whether it's against the Phillies on Wednesday night, depending on whether or not they get the game off today, although it's not raining, but it's supposed to rain starting two o'clock into the evening. So we'll see what happens there just a terrible job by the Mets and the home team is the one that decides on whether or not they should go ahead and play and what possessed them to say alright let's just have Marcus Stroman at least throw out the first pitch and maybe get a batter or two and let's see what happens did they not look at the weather report yesterday? ah uh, this is an absolute joke uh, and we'll see what happens they play the Phillies over the course of the next three nights maybe they could give it a little payback for what happened in Philadelphia as they lost two out of three to open up their season so that's where we got the Mets Quickly on the Yankees, and the only reason why I'm bringing them up is because when you look at what's gone on with them, and they're four and five, all right, they got no so slow start themselves, but you cannot like their pitching scenario right now. And granted, we're nine days in, and you know that Brian Cashman, come the trade deadline, is going to have a couple of aces up his sleeve. But right now, Corey Kluber is not looking good in his first two starts as he got bombed in Tampa there the other day. Domingo Herman was optioned to the alternate site as he got sent down, so much for his comeback and that 18-4 and record that he had uh, in 2019, and then Jordan Montgomery was okay yesterday, nothing anything that you're going to write home about, but Jordan Montgomery isn't going to be the guy that's going to carry the mail for your rotation, Luis Severino still on the mend, they're going to have to plug and play throughout the course of this, at least first few months with this rotation, because other than Garrett Cole, who do you have? I'm not gonna sit here and say you got nothing, but if Kluber's going to perform the way he does, and we understand it's all about October when it comes to the Yankees, because they're gonna win a division and make the postseason, but you can't like what you see early on here in the season. And granted, it's two starts. I'm not gonna get crazy, but if this is a sign of things to come, you're gonna have to start biting your nails and wondering if Mr. Cashman is gonna have to reach out for some reinforcements with some other teams here. And James and Tion, we don't know just yet. We'll have to see. But that's the one thing with the Yankees early on. And right, we understand what they're hitting. They're right-hand dominant. We've said this time after time. They won yesterday 8-4 to to salvage that three-game series and not get swept. But we'll see what goes on there. And then you had the game yesterday between the Phillies and Braves where how in the hell did replay not show that the play at the plate there in the ninth inning tied at six with uh, Alec Baum and the throw by Marcelo Zuna from left field, how he was not out, and what they saw was safe. Listen, I understand I don't have all the angles. I'm sure that once they put the headsets on, and the people in New York and New Jersey are trying to decipher whether or not from their zillion different angles that they have, if Baum was called out at the plate, and what they saw that he was safe, then just scrap replay. I know they're not going to do it. I get it but that was just an atrocity what did you see in that replay showed that it was not conclusive to overturn that call I mean please what are these guys watching I didn't understand that so the Braves got robbed there and the Phillies come out with a victory there in your Sunday night game Uh, but other than that before I get into the standings I know the other big news is Fernando Tatis Jr. and you got to wonder with this shoulder injury although the Padres are off to a very good start he had that swing and miss at the plate there on Monday, I believe, or maybe it was Tuesday, where he crumpled to the ground right at home plate, and they're just going to give it some rest and some rehab, and hopefully he comes back, but when it comes to shoulders, and I believe it's his non-throwing shoulder, it's his front shoulder from uh, from all intents and purposes, from what I could tell. But if he's a guy that's going to be out of the lineup for any significant amount of time, especially if he's going to need surgery, that's going to be a huge blow. They should be fine throughout the course of the year. They're piecemealing it right now. They're moving their second baseman, Jake Cronenworth, to short. And they put the kid, Kim, at second base who had his first home run the other day. But not having one of your bright stars of Major League Baseball in the lineup day in and day out, especially for a team like the Padres who have very lofty expectations, that's going to be a severe blow They're going to play it day by day. Uh, I know it's a tough call. You don't want to rip the Band-Aid off just yet unless you absolutely 100% have to and that's what they're doing right now. They're just slowly but surely trying to peel off that Band-Aid. I'm sure they fear the worst and think the worst but let's see if the rest and rehab so early in the season is going to help because they figure, hey, why have them go under the knife for some surgery now and get him back 100% next year when we could try to see if rest and just some rehab and maybe some simulation games before he could get back in the lineup will be just as good or even if he has to go under the knife or if it gets re-injured here once he's back in the lineup they figure that ah, whether it's May, June, July they'll just go with it then and have to live on with Tatis throughout the rest of the year but right now after this first week it's interesting because you had some teams there that got off to tremendously slow starts And now have bounced back in a way where you look at the standings and you say, whoa, this team's in first place now? And the one team is the Red Sox. Remember, they got swept by the Orioles at home to start their season. And since then, they just bounced back to where they swept Tampa. And then they returned the favorite to the Orioles by sweeping them. So right now, they are in first place in the American League East. Other teams of note who have gotten off to very good starts here. How about the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim as they're now even? In the AL West with the Houston Astros. Remember, the Astros got off to that, excuse me, great start. Thereby sweeping the Oakland A's to kick off their season. And now the Angels have bounced back to where they're currently tied with the Houston Astros. Now, they did split with the Astros early in the week out in Anaheim, but I'm sure they have a lot of games to be played. I wouldn't be surprised if I actually played them this week if I take a look at the standings real quick. But the Angels and their few fans, in particular, my guy, Brian Murray, and also Kevin Christopher, the Kev the Viking fan who's been on this podcast before. I'm sure they got to feel a little bit giddy with their start. The Reds have gotten off to a tremendous start. Actually, they were 6-1 and one before losing the last couple over the weekend. So kudos to the Reds and what they've done and the Dodgers, business as usual with them is they're 8-2, followed by the Padres. Even the Giants are 6-3 and three right now, winners of four in a row, playing very well to start. And teams of note that have gotten off to slow starts that should be good and have not, not really anybody. You want to say the Yankees, even the Rays for that matter, both four and five. All right, maybe you could say them. White Sox, off to a slow start. Big expectations for them this year. What other teams you got? The Nationals, one and five. They were probably the most disappointing right now. And Strasburg is supposed to pitch tonight as they were on the West Coast playing the Dodgers. Now I believe they're playing the Cardinals. And that's pretty much what you have with baseball here over the first 10, 11 days of the season. Now one other thing before I transition to the NBA, the division one softball team North Texas, their pitcher Hope Troutween pitched a perfect game over the weekend, actually the first of its kind, where she struck out all 21 of her batters that she faced. Now there have been other 21 strikeout games in women's softball for the NCAA division one, but never one that it was a perfect game. So... As impressive as that is, geez, how could you not give her credit? So kudos to her. I understand that nobody follows college softball or nobody watches it, whatever. But just to have the first of its kind in that regard and to strike out all 21 batters. I mean, geez, I don't know if we'll ever see that again. And I understand not a lot of people watched it. Maybe about six people did. But still, I wanted to give her a shine and her due for an achievement like that, which is, geez, unparalleled. All right now I want to turn my attention to the NBA I definitely will get into the NHL and everything that's happening there with the trade deadline as I mentioned earlier the Eastern Conference man you talk about a fight to the finish as to trying to get the top players and make a push not only to the playoffs but through the Stanley Cup playoffs and it makes you wonder what is going on in the Western Conference that all these teams whether you're the Islanders the Bruins the Tampa Bay Lightning the Toronto Maple Leafs that are making all these moves that They're putting all these other teams to sleep out West. So, I'll get into that in a minute. But I want to start off with the association and a very interesting week in the league when we look at some of the top teams, especially out West, and also the mend of a couple of big players, and particularly with the Lakers. But you had Utah and Phoenix play on Wednesday night, which was a matchup of the top two seeds out West, where Phoenix did beat Utah in overtime on Wednesday. But then the turnaround time was quick because they had to take a trip to LA to play the Clippers the next night. And they ended up losing to Paul George and the Clippers, where the game got a little bit testy, got feisty, where Patrick Beverly had elbowed Chris Paul on an inbounds pass and was ejected from the game. But what Paul George said in the post game, where a lot of the Suns players were chirpy, and this also dates back to a game that they had in January, where a lot of the players were getting at Paul George. I'm sure a lot of it had to do with the bubble and his performance and the team's performance against the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs last year so Paul George although tried to keep as mum as he possibly could as far as I'm just going to go about my business and play the best way I could play and said all the right things but did mention that the Suns came off just a little bit chatty not to his liking and you wonder what kind of effect that that may have long term and the reason why I say that is because not only do they have another game on April the 28th which is in Phoenix between those two teams but with those teams right now at the two and three seed in the Western Conference they could potentially face one another in a seven game series in the second round a lot of games to be played we don't know how this is all going to shake down watch the Clippers go to the four seed and they play the Lakers in the first round and then they're gone but very interesting to see how those two teams will align not only in their last matchup later this month but if they do meet up in the playoffs in the second round which would make for a fascinating theater and again an upstart young Suns team going up against the Clipper team that is pretty much championship or bust so we'll keep that one in mind as the calendar continues to march along now as far as the Lakers go they're in New York here over the last couple of days where they destroyed the Brooklyn Nets and to think no LeBron no Anthony Davis and they ran the Nets out of the gym And even that game got a little bit testy between Dennis Schrader and Kyrie Irving, where they both got ejected first time. Both of those players have ever been ejected from an NBA game. And before I get to Kyrie Irving, the Lakers will look forward to getting both Anthony Davis and LeBron James back. Looks like it may be between 10 to 14 days for AD. And then the week after that, you'll see LeBron in uniform as he gets to set his sights on another championship. As I said before, and I'll say it again, the Lakers could be entrenched in five, they could be six, seven, eight, it doesn't matter. If both of those guys are in the lineup, come tip off game one of the Eastern Conference quarterfinals, or excuse me, Western Conference, I think of LeBron in the East always, but game one of the Western Conference quarterfinals, as long as those guys are there, they're going to be favored to go all the way. So there isn't anything else to add to that. So we'll see what goes on there. And the Lakers, as I mentioned, here over the weekend, they do play the Knicks tonight to finish their little sojourn here in the Big Apple as they will play visitor to the Knicks who are at five hundred and have been uh, in and out, up and down, but still in the playoff mix as we'll get to in a little bit. Now I want to get into this thing with Kyrie Irving. I get that. Who am I to tell what Kyrie Irving should do in his life? his day-to-day business, etc. That is not my point. He did not make it to Minnesota on this trip as the Brooklyn Nets are in the Twin Cities to play the Minnesota Timberwolves. And here's another instance where for the third time, not the first, not the second, but the third time, he's excusing himself from the team for personal reasons. Now the first thing I got to say about that is and I'm not a Brooklyn Nets fan and people know I'm a Celtic fan and I had to deal with Kyrie for a couple years but certainly not on this level where it has to really make you think if you're Sean Marks and company you'd want to have a mulligan on this signing because you still have two more years maybe one more year because I'm sure it's three and an opt-out but they have to be sick and tired of the shenanigans of a one Kyrie Irving. When in any NBA season now let's take a little history lesson here. When have any other players in his sport Have taken three different sets of personal leave Over the course of an NBA season Again, not once Not twice But thrice I'm waiting Still waiting As a fan And this is coming as a basketball fan You have to wonder if he's going to pull this nonsense to the postseason I mean, would you be surprised if he did? maybe a little bit because you think well the stakes are higher he's in the postseason but could you imagine if his team is up three games to one and they're in let's say Boston now maybe you want to put the final nail in the coffin if it was the Celtics but let's say if he were to play a team I'll just throw the Wizards out let's say they make it into the seven to ten and they go into the postseason and they play the Nets in the first round and they're up three games to one and it's down in D.C. Would you be surprised if he says, ah, you know I'm not going to play game four. We got the series in the bag. I'm good. I mean, when does it stop? And I get it. Whatever happens in his life, that's his business. Jay Reels, who the hell are you to say? What he could do, what he can't do. He's getting paid millions. He could do whatever he wants. I totally get that. But how about the other players on your team? Let's start there. And I'm sure they're already used to this tact. And I get it, If you're Kevin Durant or James Harden, you just kind of brush it off your shoulder and that's it. But what about the 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th guy on a team that see this and Kyrie's able to get away with it. But you know that guy who's in the bottom rung of that roster, he can't go ahead and say, well, I got to take off for personal reasons. Well, I got this to do on this day. Well, hey, I need to take another week. That's not going to happen. And you know the older crowd of the league, other players, that I'm sure on all these different types of hot take shows or whatever you want to call it, they got to be just fuming to know that this guy just happens to take off whenever he wants as if it's his world and everybody else paying rent. And listen, I hope it's nothing serious with him. I hope it's not the case because obviously I'd look like an ass if that's, let's say, that was the issue, whether it's a family matter that he's been having to deal with or who knows, maybe it's mental, I don't know. Again, I hope that's not the case. But to see this happen again. And, all right, it's Minnesota. It's not a big team. It just, it just doesn't sit right with me. What about integrity? What about playing through the difficulties? And yes, I understand you have the luxury to take time off and so on and so forth. But, it just seems to come at times where it seems right for him. I mean, think of the last time. They had a three-game West Coast trip, I believe. Where it started... I think it was in Portland, then it went to Utah, and those are two good teams, so it's not as if they're bad teams, and I forgot the third game, I think it was in Detroit, where he decided to skip that, but oh, it happened to fall on the week of his birthday, so what, you mean to tell me that he took that week off, so he could celebrate with his family, friends, whatever, I I don't know if that was the case, that's alleged, but it just, as someone who's watched sports pretty much since birth, and to know that players, yeah, can they take time off, personal reasons, I get that, but when it happens so often, and it seems like it's happening every other week with this guy, it makes you think that, are you really committed? And it shows, because the guy's putting up monster numbers, and we understand the talent that he is, I get it, but man, it just, it just doesn't sit with me, and once again, people could say, well, if it doesn't sit with you, J. Reels, then tough, I get it, and listen, I'm not even a fan of the Nets, but you just don't like to see that, and More importantly, I hope it's nothing too serious I I hope it's nothing serious with him or his family I get that And who is he to say to me That it's my business to find out whether or not He's taking time off But when it happens too much And if you're invested as a fan And it's public knowledge You do wonder what the hell is going on And that's just my point So I just had to throw in my two cents about that Because yeah, it just I tell you uh, What could you say? It just seems to be nonstop with him when it comes to taking this time off. And as it is, the team is depleted because Kevin Durant is on a minutes restriction coming back from his hamstring issue that he suffered for the last two months or so. On top of James Harden having to leave a game early this week with a hamstring, who knows when he's going to come back. So it's almost like hot potato where Kyrie is in the lineup with James Harden, but Kevin Durant is out and then KD is back in, but now Kyrie is out and then now with Kyrie back in now Harden is out it's just musical chairs for you know these top players on these teams and uh, it just doesn't sit well so I just had to throw that out there and then I know I mentioned the T-Wolves with the Nets playing Minnesota later tonight I'm sure if you're my guy Headstyle in Minnesota you can't be happy with the news that A-Rod and billionaire Mark Lore are looking to purchase the T-Wolves for 1.5 billion dollars and I don't know what the situation there is with Glenn Taylor, because if you remember Kevin Garnett also was part of a group to buy the team, and if that's one guy that you want to be the face of your organization, considering he is Mr. T-Wolf, to be part owner of that franchise that needs a reboot and a reconstruct in the worst way, why weren't they able to iron that out? But no, you're going to have A-Rod coming to save the day, that just doesn't look well. And nothing personal against A-Rod, I understand he just probably wants to own a team just so he could have it on his little letterhead and have that title of minority owner next to the many things on his resume. All right. Who knows if the NBA owners will approve that? You think they may? I don't know. I don't have my fingers on the pulse with that, but it'll be interesting to see whether or not the other owners will approve. Now, one person that he'll have in his back pocket is Mark Cuban, because all you got to think about is Shark Tank and all the performances and all the appearances that he made on that show and you know that his connection with Cuban is tight so I'm sure Cuban's gonna put out the good word for A-Rod and who knows he may end up being part owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves we just have to wait and see about that and tough break for James Wiseman the rookie out of Golden State who tore his meniscus the other day so he's done for the year so that makes him and Lamelo Ball two guys that were amongst the top of the 2020 rookie class not going to be seen for the rest of this year due to injury and quickly due to standings it's pretty much remained the same and just like I said last week with the theme when you look at the Eastern Conference 4 through pretty much 10 although there has been a little bit of separation there at the bottom where Toronto they're looking to scratch and claw to get themselves back in but it looks like they won't where if you're 7, 8, 9, and 10 you want to avoid those spots because you do not want to play Philadelphia or Brooklyn in the first round you want to try to stay Four or five. I know the Bucks aren't going to be a day at the beach either. Even if you're a six seed like Charlotte is right now, but you'd rather face Milwaukee in a seven game series than Philadelphia or Brooklyn at the moment. So that's a race we'll continue to monitor throughout the rest of this regular season, and it's pretty much been the same since last week. And same out west, where the Lakers are fifth, and if they get LeBron and AD back over the course of the next two or three weeks, you would think that they would move up the rung in the Western Conference. We talked about Utah and Phoenix, the top two with the Clips, then the Nuggets who lost to the Celtics inexplicably yesterday. I didn't watch the game, but the Celtics have now put together a little bit of a winning streak here. And the Nuggets are just a game ahead of the Lakers right now. But with Portland, Dallas, Memphis, and then San Antonio, Golden State on the outside looking in, that's pretty much your NBA here as we move through the month of April. Now let's get to the NHL because the trade deadline is today, 3 p.m. Eastern time. And there's been a lot of wheeling and dealing with teams, especially in the Eastern Conference. I don't know what's happening out West. A lot of the teams out West, maybe they're thinking that, eh, we don't have a shot. Or, hey, we don't have assets that we want to trade or need to trade to make an attempt to get themselves in position to have a long, deep Stanley Cup run. Well, I don't know what it is, but the Eastern Conference right now, they are firing on all cylinders. And it started last week with the Islanders as they made a trade with the New Jersey Devils right across the river so the connection with Lou Lamarillo the GM of the Islanders with the hierarchy of the Devils as they bring in Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac he's the longtime Devil been there forever he's a guy that's going to bring some defensive presence two-way forward for him and Palmieri's a guy that's going to bring some offense which is needed as we know Andrews Lee is gone for the rest of this year both of these guys are unrestricted free agents they gave up a number one pick this year I understand number one picks, especially if you're not in the lottery, aren't going to mean much. But if you're the Islanders, considering what other teams traded and got back for, did they have to give up a number one pick? Eh, That's the one thing I think about. But Lou Emeril knows a lot more than I do as far as what to do with a roster. Let's see if that's going to pay off dividends for the Islanders here, which is going to be key for them because they're going to need offense. That was one of the big problems that they had in the postseason last year yes they did get contributions from some of their key players but Anders Lee ironically was one guy who did not have a good especially series against the Tampa Bay Lightning in that conference final he didn't score at all but when you have guys Brock Nelson and Jean-Gabriel Peugeot and of course Matthew Barzal you need to have another guy those guys aren't going to be able to carry the load the whole way so now with Kyle Palmieri in the fold hopefully he could add some more scoring punch to this lineup and The Islanders right now they're in a just a scrum in the Eastern Conference. And we'll go through the schedule in a minute, or the standings, I should say. We'll get to that. As that's pretty much been status quo from last week. But as far as these trades go, I think one of the bigger trades that happened, and we could talk about the Bruins getting Taylor Hall, the former MVP from the Devils from Buffalo, and the Sabres have had just an awful season to begin with I mean they've lost 18 straight games at one point or they were winless in 18 but they're trying to catch lightning in a bottle with Hall because he is nowhere near his MVP form of 2018 granted he's been on a bad team understood but in 37 games this year he has two goals I'm sure change of scenery maybe that will reinvigorate him to get the Bruins the playoff push as right now they're fourth in the Eastern Conference or in the Eastern Division I should say excuse me but the Bruins who made that trade and I think it's a good trade uh, they did not give up much room. I don't believe I think it was a second round pick and he's also going to be a free agent I believe at the end of the year but to me the big deal out of all I think right now is the Maple Leafs getting Nick Foligno from the Columbus Blue Jackets in a three team trade and him being also a free agent at the end of the year but he's a guy that is a heart and soul blood and guts type guy that you're going to need in the postseason and we know he's a very good forward he could score he just has all the intangibles that you'd want in a performer not only just as an individual but being the ultimate team player and with Toronto we've talked about their postseason foils from here to Timbuktu not winning a Stanley Cup in now 53 years going on 54 and going for it here because they're at the top of the Northern Division and by bringing in a guy like Felino, I think is going to do wonders. To go along with Austin Matthews, obviously Jonathan Tavares, we can go down the list there. And even the Maple Leafs have gotten a little bit of luck there with their goaltending recently because Jack Campbell was able to set an NHL record for consecutive wins to start a season with 11. So with all the expectations with this Maple Leaf team, even going into this year in a new division, new format with all that's gone on in the world with covid but by bringing in Felino, I think is going to be immeasurable, and who knows, that could be the key piece that the Maple Leafs are missing, just more grit, a little toughness, determination, now granted Felino hasn't won anything in his career either, it's not as if he has some hardware and a couple of rings on his finger, but we know the Maple Leafs, a lot of people think that they're just a soft team, uh, I'll just call it as I see it, and I'm not watching the Leafs night in night out, but one of the reasons why they can't get over the hump or can't win a big playoff series is that they don't have those grinders, those guys that are just going to get dirty in the corners, that are just going to call out teammates, that are going to rally their, around the troops. And now they got a guy like that. And let's see if he's going to pay dividends for that team as they look to push the Tampa Bay Lightning, the defending champs right now, who also made a very good deal with the aforementioned Blue Jackets by bringing in defenseman David Savard to show up their back line to go along with Victor Hedman which was much needed for the Lightning and again what is happening out West because Vegas hasn't done anything over the last couple of days same for Colorado we could look at a bunch of these teams out West that have pretty much fallen asleep behind the wheel right now now there's still a few hours between now and 3 p.m. Eastern in order for them to pull off a big trade but everything has happened in the East as far as teams looking to get themselves ready to not only close out this season, but put themselves in good position to align themselves for a long, deep Stanley Cup run, which will hopefully, for any of those aforementioned teams, or any team for that matter, to hoist Lord Stanley above their shoulders sometime there in mid to late July. So, that's what we have there with the deadline. And listen, we could talk about what these teams traded for. I know a lot of number one picks were thrown around and a lot of expiring contracts. But if you're Toronto, you got to go for it. Even if it was a number one pick that you gave up, and I have to look back and see. Tampa, same deal. Uh, I don't think Savard was a number one pick that they gave up with Tampa, but again, it's going to be bottom of the list there. It's not going to be a lottery pick or for sure anywhere in the top 20. You're looking at a number one pick that's going to be in the low 20s, probably if not 30 or 31, depending on who's going to be able to win the Stanley Cup this year. And these are chances that these teams are going to take. And Taylor Hall is a wild card because who knows what he's going to be able to do here considering that he has produced zero this year and maybe he was unhappy, maybe it was just tough luck, but now there's no excuse. Let's see him being surrounded by some championship medal type players, a team that's in win now mode because this roster, as we all know, the Patrice Bergerons of the world, the David Krejci's, just go on down the list. Uh, they're pretty soon going to be long in the tooth and that championship window is going to close so let's see if Taylor Hall could give them a little boost to get themselves back to a cup final the way they were a couple of years ago and then the standings are pretty much the same in the NHL I know now we could flip-flop last week was Florida this week it's Carolina at the top of the Central Division Carolina even with Tampa at 48 points although Carolina does have a game in hand with the Lightning and then the Panthers, 56 points. They actually have two games in hand, or I should say, Carolina has two games in hand with Florida, and then obviously a game in hand with Tampa to Florida. So we'll keep an eye on that. Then you have Nashville there with the fourth seed as the Blackhawks are looking to try to make a push. They're four points behind the Predators right now. The Capitals and Islanders are in a flat-footed tie. Comparable records 27-11-4. Islanders won a big game last week, 1-0, and remember, next week at this time, oh no, in two weeks, they have three games in a row, two at home and one down in DC, which could be pivotal for the top spot in the Eastern Division, so we'll wait and see on that, but the Penguins are just two points behind the Capitals and Islanders, all have played 42 games, so that's going to be a grudge match to the end, And then the Bruins at 48 points, Rangers at 44, tied with the Flyers at 44, to see if they could push the Bruins for the fourth spot in that division. And then Toronto, as we talked about, flying high, 59 points, just six points ahead of Winnipeg, who have played very well here, followed by Edmonton and then Montreal. And then uh, in the West, Colorado with a four-point advantage over the Vegas Golden Knights, followed that up by Minnesota, which looks like they're going to be entrenched in three because you have St. Right now, 44 points in the fourth seed, even though Arizona is nipping at the heels with 43 points, and then San Jose, four points behind the fourth place St. Louis Blues. So, we'll continue to keep our eyes on that as the races heat up, and that is your NHL. For any other updates or my takes on any trades that go down, you could go to any of my social media accounts, Twitter, of course, Instagram, which I mentioned before, and I'll talk about that more at the back end as far as where you could reach me and where you could follow me as far as any of my thoughts when it comes to these trades or anything else that happens in the world of sports. All right, then we'll wrap this up with the NFL. And of course, as timing has it for me more often than not, just as I'm about to post last week's podcast up on the website, and then obviously on all the available platforms, I get the breaking news that the New York Jets trade Sam Darnold to the Carolina Panthers for three draft picks. And if you're Joe Douglas, the first thing I would love to If I was in a room with him Have to ask Why did you get so little in return? Okay You're probably not going to get A first round pick back Because Sam Darnold is toward the end Of his rookie contract I believe he's scheduled To make $16 million this year And he has an option For whatever it is Next year before He becomes a free agent So therefore You're probably not going to get That number one pick That you probably would have got If it was after year two Or even year three Which was this past year But for them to get a sixth round pick this year and then a two and a four next year, why couldn't they try to get minimum even a two this year or even a three and then try for a two or four next year? I mean, the kid is what, 23 years old, 24 tops? He still has some upside and you got to look at the Jets, not to say you have to throw these three years in the garbage. It's not all this kid's fault. We know what the Jets are as far as an organization goes and not being able to get key people here as far as personnel goes whether, all right, they brought in Le'Veon Bell but they had no offensive line or their wide receivers are pretty much B and C wide receivers on most other teams not your typical number one receiver whether he is a speedster or a home run hitter or that number one possession guy Understood, but the Jets could have got more in return for Sam Darnold, couldn't they? So to me, that's the first thing I got to look at and number two if you're a Jet fan and even Joe Douglas are you that in love with Zach Wilson that you just want to scrap all your plans just to get anything in return for Donald? just to you could as I like to say push all your chips to the middle of the table just for a quarterback out of BYU that alright he had a good year against not so good competition and in one game although on short notice against Coastal Carolina late in the year had a very pedestrian game and As I said before, and I'll say again, and I'm far from a scout and I'm far from any type of NFL personnel, but these pro days, these scouts and these team officials, they fall in love with these guys in a heartbeat. Just because you could roll out and throw the ball 80 yards on a dime without facing any pressure and for the receiver that's out there not being covered, I'm not going to get crazy about that yeah I may mean, look at that and be like oh okay wow that's great he could throw 80 yards but can we see this in real time can we see this with a little bit of pressure in his face and I'm not trying to say they have to simulate a game here but these guys just get crazy and gaga over these quarterbacks as if we got to draft this guy yesterday did people look at the tape of Jamarcus Russell back in 2008 where I believe when he was on his knees he threw for like 80 yards on a dime and how did his career turn out and we all know that a lot of these quarterbacks they're really in the middle it's either boom or bust with these guys all you got to do is look at the draft what was it 2015 with Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota they were one and two in the draft how did that turn out for those guys now they both have ability we understand but those guys are backups right now or even a guy like, I don't want to pick on him because he's had his moments, but Jared Goff, I you mean, know, guys already been traded. And we could go through the list of Josh Rosen, we could, I mean, there's a laundry list of quarterbacks that leading up to the draft or pro days or combine that everybody is just ready to scream to the high heaven that this is the guy, that this is going to be the next great thing, not only for our franchise, but for the league. And more often than not, that is not the case. So I wonder why the Jets are so enamored by this guy. And listen, he may be great. He may turn out to be the next Joe Namath, for all we know. The writing was on the wall. We saw that the minute the Jets just entertaining rumors with Sam Darnold and then obviously pulling the trigger on this trade, they are going to go ahead and try to get this kid by any means necessary. I don't think it's going to be Justin Fields. It's not going to be Trey Lance. You would think after Trevor Lawrence, it's going to be the kid from BYU, Zach Wilson. And we'll see. As we get closer to the draft, we'll talk about it more. But I just don't understand the love fest for a guy that, after watching him for whatever it is, half hour, 45 minutes, that you just run to Christopher and Woody Johnson and think, this is the guy we have to select. Do it now. Come on. Don't waste any time. And also with the Jets, too, we know that Joe Douglas, with this whole writing on the wall, because this wasn't his draft pick remember this was Mike McKagan's draft pick of a few years ago that this was their opportunity to get out of this contract to start anew to have some money to put in place for other key positions on this team because if they would have kept Donald that meant that if he had a good year or improved this year they would have to pay him an upwards of over 20 million dollars and then have to sign him to the long-term deal and therefore not get the wide out or not get the pass rusher or not get the bookend offensive tackle that now they could go ahead and plug Zach Wilson, give him his rookie contract, whatever it is, four or five years. Yes, they're going to have to pay a lot of money in the signing bonus, but at the same time, annually, it's not going to kill them. And then they could go ahead and get that star receiver or the tackle, safety, corner, defensive, and you name it. And that's why they did this. I mean, please, if you can't, spot that from a mile away then you're not paying attention so we'll see what happens there we're still two and a half weeks away from the draft and then I understand And talk about this last week I'm going to give this 90 seconds to hopefully tops with this whole Deshaun Watson thing I know they had a woman there who testified and gave her account of what took place and we have two dozen more that are out there that I would think will have to testify and state their case as to what happened and what went on with all these different scenarios the bottom line is this people as bad as things turned out in Houston in reference to the trade last year with DeAndre Hopkins and remember he signed that contract on the dotted line afterwards but J.J. Watt getting his release Andre Johnson going up against the GM there and back and forth with that, and just the whole dark cloud that's hanging over the Texans right now, minus these accusations that the organization seems that they're incompetent, and for all the posturing, pretty much by his representation, because you didn't really hear it much from Sean Watson, but how he wanted the trade, he wanted out, maybe there is some underlying truth that he wanted out to escape what the hell's going on here, and even though at one point he did say that I'm going to clear my name, and I'm innocent, whatever. But now that almost two dozen women have come out with all these alleged assaults and terrible behavior by Deshaun Watson, it makes you wonder that he was trying to get himself out of there and hopefully avoid all this. But not only has this fallen on his lap, but all on top of his head to the point where he can't go anywhere. And even as much as the Texans want to trade him, who the hell is going to want to take him? So you can forget about Deshaun Watson I would think for 2021 because even if he and remember this is a civil suit people all these are just there's no criminal case no one's trying to put him in jail I guess they want to hit him more in his pockets than they would as far as a criminal suit when it comes to having him locked up or doing any type of time but you would think that Roger Goodell and company they're probably going to hand him you would have to think a year suspension here I mean, half of you, eight games is I mean I guess you could, maybe you're gonna start with eight, but even then, how are you going to set the example if you're just gonna give him four games or even eight games for that matter, and if you're gonna give him ten or twelve, just give him the whole season, and as it is, if you give him let's say ten games, you know he's gonna appeal and he's gonna end up serving only eight, which that would be a joke, so Roger Goodell has to do the right thing here, and this is just me. With my little crystal ball thinking of the future here. But this is not going to turn out well as far as him being in a uniform of any sorts, and but in particular with the Houston Texans here in 2021, based on all this that's taking place. So that's what we got there with the football. Now let me turn my attention to my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week is San Diego Padre pitcher Joe Musgrove for pitching the first ever no-hitter in the history of the franchise Friday night versus the Texas Rangers. And it was legit. I know a lot of people were needling the Met fans saying that yes the Johan Santana no hitter does count but remember the Carlos Beltran ball where if there was replay there would have been a double but sorry no replay we can't rewrite history we can't rewrite the Don Degager play at first base at game 6 of the 85 World Series where the Cardinals would have won and had a championship we can't rewrite the history of a one Armando Galarraga who would have had a perfect game if not for Jim Joyce calling the batter safe at first when he was out and therefore with immortality pitching one of the very few perfect games in the history of the sport so I'm sorry that's not going to get under my skin so be that as it may I digress this is all about Joe Musgrove as they were the last team standing and think about this all the teams in Major League Baseball even the expansion teams whether it's the Florida Marlins or the Colorado Rockies of the 90s and then late 90s with the Arizona Diamondbacks and Tampa Bay Rays even they have pitched no hitters in their franchise's history. Well, now the Padres are off to snide. And thanks to Joe Musgrove. And the reason why he is the hero is because to make it much sweeter, as he's a local kid from El Cajon, which is 20 minutes away from the San Diego city limits. So I'm sure it was an absolute thrill. If there was one cherry on top, that would have been perfect for Joe Musgrove. Is that if he would have done it at Petco Park, but instead it was at Globe Life Park in Texas. So kudos to you, my man. You are my hero of the week. And my zero of the week, and this is an understatement of all understatements, former NFL player Philip Adams, who played for five different teams during his career, murdered five people and injuring a sixth before taking his own life in South Carolina last week. Those people were his doctor, the doctor's wife, grandchildren, somebody who worked for the doctor, and injured the six, who I believe is in critical condition and then he took his own life after that which was the most cowardly act of all sadly I have to end on that note thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the families of the doctor and everyone who was involved in this just horrific and tragic incident and uh, I don't want to make this guy to be a martyr by any stretch but uh, I tried to go long and hard to find another zero of the week but sadly I had to use this one so he is my zero of the week and that'll do it For episode 189 I appreciate you Stopping by To listen to what it is I have to say About what's happening In the world of sports From the bottom of my heart Thank you for taking the time Out to download Or listen from the website Or wherever you get Your podcasts So whether that's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher Spotify, iHeartRadio Luminary, CastBox Player FM Amazon Music Or wherever you get Your podcast. Even Overcast Which is one that's been On my radar Over the last few weeks If you subscribe To any one of those And listen to other podcasts Well please Subscribe to the J Reels podcast on any of those aforementioned platforms. All that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast pretty much from what you heard on the very outset because I am not going anywhere, people. I am going to pump out these podcasts as long as I am on God's green earth. So subscribe, rate, review. I would greatly appreciate it. Give me four stars, five stars, a little blurb saying how zany, goofy, crazy, but at the same time, knowledgeable, charismatic, whatever. As we try to kick up the popularity and the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there so I would greatly appreciate that and if you want to hit me up on any of my social media accounts you could certainly do so at the following Instagram J Reels or the J Reels podcast which is strictly sports Twitter J Reels one just a number Facebook the J Reels podcast fan page and the old-fashioned way if you want to send me an email with any questions comments criticism or praise or hit me up on any of my DMs is at the JREALS podcast at gmail.com. So I'll be open to whatever it is that you have to say about anything about sports, about the podcast, etc. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, the production of this podcast, you could do so at www.patreon.com. That's P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N as in Nancy.com slash the J podcast. Whatever you want to contribute, whether it's to the website, the upkeep of that, equipment as I look to expand and try to increase my little setup here to make it that much more professional to come crystal clear through your earbuds or through your speakers so I'd be forever indebted whatever you want to contribute to that I would certainly be thankful and appreciative of because whether you do or do not know it's in the blood people it's in my DNA this is what I love to talk about pretty much since birth to talk about everything that's happening in the world of sports my thoughts Opinions Analysis Everything Is From me to you Each week Sometimes twice a week If I get that guest Because I love to dissect everything That's happening on the world Of the diamond The world of the ice The world of the gridiron The world of the hardwood The golf course Racetrack Tennis court You name it From my lips to your ears From my heart to your soul From where I am To wherever you are The J Reels Podcast Always comes correct Direct and in full effect From the South Bronx The South Beach The South Central, The South Pacific And all points beyond peace love and god bless everybody until next time on the j reels podcast on the flip baby